Welcome to M&M Chat, the show where I bring on uh, guests from the tabletop role-playing community who are working on fun, creative stuff and just talk to them about anything and everything D&D related um, or other tabletop games if they come up. Today, I have the Lord of Excrement, Sam Cumberfield, uh, the brains behind the Our Role Playing account and cast member of the Role Playing and Role Playing show. Uh, Sam, you want to introduce yourself, and if I missed anything, let people know what you do? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, as you said, my name is Sam Cumberford. I am the Dungeon Master, Editor, um, Twitter fiend for Role Playing and Role Playing. Uh, I am, quote-unquote, the shitty guy, as I have been called. It, it's just, it's just the thing that I mean that's that's what I got I mean that's that's about all that's all I am that's my entire personality wrapped <laughs> up in an entire sentence. <laughs> well, hopefully we can find out a little bit more about the the man behind the shit. Um, yes. So let's let's even start off with how did you fall into this this niche? And if you're you're not familiar, um, you've probably seen his his memes on. This is such a weird thing. I'm interviewing you for your memes, but um, seeing them on Reddit and Twitter, the general concept is talking about shitty ideas for D&D or tabletop games of just fun concepts for your, your characters, your game. Um, so how did you fall into that niche? So it kind of started, I believe, in January. I was... Um, I decided that like these these dialogue memes they were doing okay. I would post them on Reddit. They would make the rounds or, or whatever. I do one daily, uh, and they would do fine, right? They would get decent, um, you know, what's that called? Traction. Decent traction, decent engagement. Uh, but I didn't. I didn't have. I didn't have a brand. I didn't have something that I could call my own. Uh, and this wasn't intentional, but I, I just put out a character idea and I just said shitty character idea Be- and it started as kind of like a self-deprecation thing because that's definitely my style of humor. Uh, and, and do I think, uh, any of these ideas are bad? Not necessarily. Not, not all of them are bad. Not all of them are good. I just, this, this is the brand at this point. Right. And it's gotten like th- this, the word shitty <laughs> has done so much for the fucking Twitter account. And I, I didn't realize it would, but it's kind of grown into like simultaneously like a brand, but also like a way for people to have a label to put something under that's like self-deprecating that allows sure. them to do a good idea, but also driving engagement and basically cheating the algorithm. And it kind of just evolved into this thing. And I'm like, oh, all right. I can work with this. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can work with this. And I mean, the great thing about it is I can literally post anything under that label because either I subvert your expectations if you're new to this and I'm like, oh, that's not shitty. And then I slap you with the meme and then, <laughs> and then, and then I gotcha. But if, if I, but if you're, if you're, you're, you've been along the block a couple of times as it were and i post something that's actually bad you're like wow this one's actually shitty for once and then i get you with the meme again because shitty can mean whatever i want you, you goose I, you got him in the catch 22 and then you just it's it's that constant schrodinger's excrement equation oh my gosh. that that's that's the whole deal man that's the whole brand at this point and i mean i don't know i i guess it's it's kind of my niche i i and i mean 
I, I don't want to be pigeonholed to that, you know? I do like to do the dialogue posts, and I like to do the little, like, uh, oh, if you, if you were a DM that had to choose a class, what kind of class would you be as a dungeon master? And the prompts are fun, but, like, it, it's not... It's not the brand, you know. Right. It's not. It's not what you're putting out. Sure. I guess in a way. And and before you started the Twitter account, were you ever making memes, or was this just kind of like you you knew you had to uh, get the show, you know, in front of people's faces, and so you f- found this and found out you were good at it? Well, I. It's kind of weird because um, I. For a while, I would browse sites like Reddit i funny before it was a cesspool um which <laughs> so is a very long time ago <laughs> very long time ago <laughs> just generally shit like that and i mean i was a meme at one point like did you ever see those memes with, like the tuba people with like the tuba like bells on their heads or whatever yeah like, yeah yeah i was one of those weirdly oh. enough yeah um well now we need to find that i that's like <laughs> that's something that i'm sure people don't know about oh yeah no it's it's weird. I've mentioned it. I've mentioned it once or twice, but that that is how I was kind of famous or minorly famous uh, in that sort of community beforehand. But I started making memes on R slash D and D memes. Oh, geez, probably pre just pre pandemic. Okay. And they weren't. I I was making like you know like a classic like white top part black text on it you get like a picture with like a caption sure you know just just any any available stuff i'm like oh this is a good idea i'll just post that i'll make it in like pixar or something like that on my phone or whatever in five minutes but a trend i was noticing was that posts that took little to no effort such as dialogue posts from Twitter that were blatantly ripped off from that site and posted to Reddit would do much better. And I was like, hey, these posts, they take no effort. Right. What the hell? This is so dumb. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why am I not doing this? <laughs> and so when the podcast eventually rolled around, I'm like, hmm, okay. And it kind of just exploded from there. And I mean, I wouldn't say that... 50% of what I make is funny because it's not. But I'm the sort of guy who throws shit against the wall until that sticks. Right. And when it does stick, boy, do you need a chisel. That, <laughs> that is that is what I like to think of about my content. But most of the time, it's just it's a shotgun. It's just a scatter shot around a target. But yeah. Yeah. And hey, you know, it's it's worked out. And, um, yeah, don't by any means need to talk about numbers, but was it helpful for the show? I mean, it's the Twitter accounts now sitting at what? 12,000 ish almost followers. Uh, what are we at right now? I, we needed a live count. Right I don't now. even, I don't even check at this point. 17.4 thousand. Oh, wow. Way further than, than that. Okay. So. Um, but for, as for the show, it, it hasn't. It's done a lot for the show, but it hasn't. We we are we have less listens to the show than we do followers on Twitter, okay. uh, and that can that can definitely be attributed to just kind of the bite sized content that Twitter offers versus a whole narrative driven podcast, right? But it definitely has done a lot for our numbers. I think we're we're a little behind. I think Severed Sons, who's another great great D and D podcast that I highly recommend you check out. Um, in terms of numbers, I think just keeping track of where they're posting and stuff, I'm like, okay, 
that's a good benchmark to be following. Sure. Um, but yeah, I honestly, it, it's you can be the most talented dungeon master, you can be the most talented player, you have the best setup, but it's it's not gonna you're not gonna get much traction unless you have either connections or marketability. Right. Right. And I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say. I found a new way to do that because I mean memes to promote things have been around since the internet, but I kind of have found my niche of that. Yeah, and right? hey, that's yeah. that's important. Um, and you know, not to get too much into like the the meta of podcast numbers, in, you know, for D and D podcasts because that's like a thing that only D and D podcasters are going to care about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but you know, I think that there's a lot of pressure around actual plays to, you know, get a lot of traction, but at the end of the day, it's a lot to ask people to commit to, uh, when you're talking about hours of content, I know people have had tons of different ways of trying to set it up, having only hour long episodes, which is just sessions split up across a couple, which I believe that's what you do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it definitely makes them more accessible. Uh, but you know, I think that it's, it can be difficult for an average listener to say, oh, let me you know, listen to 40, 50, 100 episodes um, of a narrative. So, I mean, even just getting anything, I mean, that's awesome. And it, it's a matter of continuing on and the snowball keeps rolling down the hill. That That is the hope. I yeah. mean, yeah, that that that's that. And I mean, for, for D&D podcasts, especially for you guys... Um, I'm, I am a little envious because you guys, as far as I know, you guys are like, you guys are more of a talk podcast, right? And it's more of like, um, it's more episodic if I'm correct. Yeah. Yes. 100%. Which, which kind of lends itself to like, one, you can drop in and be like, oh, uh, how viable is the Twilight Cleric? Which I hear is broken as hell, but. You would be correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it also kind of gives you guys like this this personal dynamic that people expect for long-time listeners like oh, okay this is probably what they're gonna say this is probably how they're gonna react to booming blade which as i've heard you guys are not the biggest fans of if i'm correct no this isn't my show though so i won't go into that rant okay <laughs> <laughs> we're here to talk about you not my hatreds <laughs> um but D actual play podcasts i hate that word actual play podcasts or three words whatever the hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't word. Are you serious? No, but they're not podcasts. They're, they're, they're like radio dramas. They're not 100%. You, you don't, they're not episodic. You can't tune into one and be like, Oh, I know what's going on. I know what's going to happen probably versus like in a D and D podcast. You need to be like, all right, I've been here since day one. I've been drinking my coffee, listening to this for hours. And I'm finally at the point where I'm caught up to this 80 episode backlog and it can be exhausting. And I mean, it, it's, it is a little hard to get people into that because on one hand, once you have a dedicated listener, that's like 60 guaranteed listens right there in terms of podcasting. But at the same time, it is so much harder to get people to be like, hey, would you like to listen to my friends and I play Dungeons and Dragons for like 60 plus hours? Yeah. Like. Are you really that good at playing Dungeons and Dragons, or what sets you apart? That that's kind of that's kind of the that's kind of the question. Like, what makes you more appetizing than the thousands of other D and D podcasts that are out there? 
Yeah, and that's actually a fantastic segue because we've talked about what your hook is to get people uh, looking at your your social media, which is a battle in itself, one that I would say you have thoroughly overcome. Now, what actually makes your podcast worth listening to? You know, what what is the thing that sets you apart that you think is is you know makes you a great show? Is it because you're such a good DM? Because oh. I think you are. Oh, no. <laughs> thank you, thank you. But I would not. I'd say pure abject chaos. Just plain and simple. The I have never played with a party that is so willing to do the most batshit insane plans. And I have played, like, th- this is comparative to one-shots that I've played. This This group of people, I love them to death. They're some of my best friends I've ever met. They are insane straight up and i i will there are moments on the podcast where i will sit inside like stunned silence like did they really just say that's their plan <laughs> is that honest to god what they want to do because i i the the vibe i have the tone i'm kind of going for is i set up this really serious arc for like this big world and whatever i have like tons of different quests planned the whole campaign arc is already ready to go and whatnot but in the moment is when we make it comedic, right? We, I mean, and I I got really lucky by picking the five friends that I did because their chemistry is just great with each other, which I did not expect because they have not met each other in person Oh, yet. okay, so it's a bit of a risk. Yeah, and they didn't, they hadn't even played a game together before. This was like their first outing and they're like, they just, they clicked. I'm like, oh shit, I, I kind of lucked out here. Uh, and I mean, do we have the occasional peeing and coffee joke? Yes, and it's not occasional. But, you know, that's how you get into it. And, I mean, the the jokes are just, like, so frenetic and chaotic that it's just, it's it's almost absurdism. Like, we have John Stamos in the podcast. We don't. But we have him as an NPC. John Stamos, if you're listening to this and would like to play yourself in our podcast, you are more than welcome. The door's always open for some for some family matters, but we actually made at least one or two negative comments towards John Stamos in earlier oh, episodes. No. So I, I don't I don't think he's gonna be listening, oh, even if no. even if he even if he hooked on. Uh, so that's uh, <laughs> that, that bridge is burned. What, what are the odds? <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's really kind of I I just kind of set things up. It's it's not about me. Uh, I do like to think that the story is decent, but really it's the chemistry between the players that kind of gives it its real oomph. And I'm especially proud, like Alex and Audrey are my two experienced players, and they're very good. Audrey is definitely the chaotic one who just absolutely annihilates my plans. And she knows that she does it, and she'll flip me off. God damn it, Audrey. I love you, <laughs> but Jesus... <laughs> But but the other three, they, they started playing Dungeons and Dragons like the summer of, like literally three months before we started the podcast. And they have come such a long way uh, in terms of character and how they play them and how they're able to role play as these, these, these new characters that they've come up with for themselves. And honestly, I'm proud of each and every one of them and how they interact with people. And how they're starting to get involved in other aspects of the podcast. Because for, like, the first four or six-ish months, this was, like, my thing. I was running right. every single aspect of this, and I was going a little insane. <laughs> I was losing it just a tad. 
Uh, but I'm, I'm really glad every single person in this podcast has really kind of stepped up and has really become passionate about it, which I didn't, I mean, I couldn't ask them for any more, really. They're, they're doing so well and yeah, it's, it's not about me. It's about, it's a, it's an us project. It's a we project. Uh, so that, that, that is why I wouldn't say that makes us unique, but our interactions in chemistry definitely would make it bring, brings a new flavor to the table. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And I really like to hear that you're saying, you know, that everybody's taking a little bit off your plate because I think the number one mistake people make when trying to do an actual play is really what you did. As you said, it's kind of working out, which is great, but people will go into it with this idea of, I'm just going to record my friends playing D&D, obviously with their consent, um, and, you know, just, I will handle everything because they're not interested in all of that. They just want to play the game. So I'm going to DM, I'm going to edit, I'm going to market, I'm going to, you know, do absolutely everything all the time, and you burn out. You burn out really, really quick because I handle one part of the show and that's really just the marketing and you know showing up and being knowledgeable uh and that at times gets to be a lot and you know when you throw in editing a four hour long session on a you know weekly basis or so or whatever length of time you're doing it um it's yeah it's a lot yeah yeah i i learned audacity as i went (laughs) Like, I didn't read anything on it. So there's a very <laughs> clear learning curve from episode one to now. Yeah. Like, now, now I'm like, all right, I've got music in this thing. I've got all sorts of stuff. It's completely normalized and whatever. In the beginning, I'm like, all right, we're going to use a Discord chat bot. Let's go. I'm going <laughs> to slapdash edit all this together. And <laughs> it got to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm going to have a little session one summary. So if you don't want to listen to this, you can get into the podcast without needing to hear like a discord fade out mid podcast. Yeah. I see that so often just with, with different actual plays. That's always like the, the thing is they realize five episodes in they're like, Oh no, we had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> had this major crash course. Maybe you don't want to listen to the first five episodes. Sorry about that. I think it's become a little normalized. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If I if I could pay any amount of money to go back and redo that session, or like the first couple sessions with decent audio quality, I'd pay a lot of money. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what's what's your advice for people getting into? We'll say just the even just from a audio perspective, like the the first thing they need to know if they're trying to record six people for a D and D game. Oh my god, record locally. If you're okay, because don't ever expect like a Discord server, don't ever expect that with six people, that's gonna work. Because trust me, it will not. You'll get these weird fade ins and fade outs of people. It's gonna sound like a butt cheek on a stick, and that does not sound good. What does sound good is when you have like localized audio, you record Audacity on everyone's computer. You might have two people in the same location using the same mic. That's fine. Uh, and then they just kind of send it all to like a Google Drive. You patch it together with like a clap check in the beginning to sync everyone's audio up. And then you go from there and you kind of spot check where you need to. And that sounds, I mean, does it take more time? Yeah, probably about double the time, honestly, per episode. But it sounds so, so much better. And you'll be like, yeah, no, this was definitely the right move when you're listening to it as opposed to like some 
weird kind of like noisy background sounding thing and for i know that for some people that is a barrier for getting into podcasts like oh this sounds horrible i couldn't listen to this without like constantly thinking about whatever yeah it's actually the like if you you know look up starting a podcast that's one of the first things that's talked about is that if you have horrible audio quality from like the get-go it's the number one reason people will turn you off so mm-hmm. if you're really trying to get listeners i think that is a that is fantastic advice there uh, and so when you started this show was the idea that it was going to be chaotic or did it just naturally fall into that and you were just like let's play a D game and it slowly became chaos or quickly well the way that i dm i'm an enabler i i love to do little homebrew mechanics and like if someone's like yeah could i like i know i'm a tiefling i could do hell's rebuke could i like channel the powers of hell I'm like dude hell yeah you can you can certainly try you dingus and <laughs> you roll for it this is a dice game man and I mean, I, I love doing that. I love I love it when players get super creative. I'm like, all right, I have to justify this with a dice roll. How do I do that? And really, I think me enabling them, plus Audrey just kind of driving that chaos in the very first part of the first episode, really set the tone for the podcast. And I'm like, I will always preface people getting to the podcast like, look, The humor in this is for middle schoolers. Like, just be warned. Like, if that's your thing, like, if you, like, I don't know, like, if you enjoy, like, Superbad or or, or things like that, you'll probably, like, like, if you can get through the first episode and you like it, you'll love the podcast. Trust me, you'll love the podcast. If you don't like the first episode, cheerio. That's all good. I don't blame you. (laughs) It's an an acquired taste. I think that's always such a a healthy mentality when it comes to just making any content is you can't expect everybody to relate and love what you're putting out there. But, you know, when you find the people who do and you find your people, it makes it all worth it. Yeah. And I mean, I think a general misconception I had from the beginning is that I'd already found, like, my people, as it were. Because I, when I came into Twitter, right, I was expecting there was, like, a D&D community, right? Which there is, but there's so many different subgroups now. You've got, like, the OSR people. You have, like, the indie TTRPG people, who are, like, an entire other subset of people. You have, like, the people who've only ever played 5e, who are, like, very, like, oh, this is a fun game. Uh, and then all of them argue about mechanics and stuff. And you're like, oh, sh- shit what am i doing how this, this this is not what i was expecting at all how, how do i how do i impress the most people and you kind of don't you just kind of find what you like to do because that's what you're probably going to do best right and you just you run with that and whoever right. likes it likes it whoever doesn't you, you give them the bird and you leave 100 percent. that's the gist yeah, say so I've I've talked with a lot of people about that idea of like, well, you know, how do you how do you grow your Twitter account and how do you grow your social media presence? And there are ways to do it. I mean, as we talked about earlier, you know, you you found making a specific style of meme has worked very very well for you, and right. that's fantastic. But if you try and copy what other people are doing and have been doing to be successful, just to be successful, you're fighting against the current, and mm. it's it's not going to work out. Um, or it is, but you're going to hate yourself, and that's <laughs> not fun yeah. either. Yeah, because, yeah, it, it, it'll be it'll be apparent. Because when I was doing, like, dialogue posts and stuff like that, 
like I would I would look to like I'd look to people for inspiration like I mean you know Oregon rolled the 20 he's a frenemy of mine <laughs> um he goes around making a lot of frenemies it seems he does he, he's a very uh I wouldn't say polarizing because he's not but he likes to portray himself that yes, way yes yes um or like or um oh boomer kid they they put out these great dialogue posts that are super funny and i'm like all right well this is what's popular i'll try this and and it was doing fine but like i was like okay well I, i'm just another i'm just another schmuck on twitter making dialogue posts right what can i do that's different and i kind of took a, a like a page from i guess like bad rpg ideas Except I made it a swear word, which makes people even angrier, which is exactly the point. Right, right. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I guess this is it. Let's let's run with this as far as we can. And I mean, then I don't know if we've gotten as far as we can. Maybe we have. I don't know. I don't care either because that's a, this is a pretty good base to spread stuff about the podcast for. I'm, exactly. I'm fine with it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so as a dungeon master, and it sounds like, if I understand correctly, a, a homebrewer, you're playing in a homebrew oh, yeah. world, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we often, I say we, I also do that, um, run into the issue where it feels like nobody cares about our homebrew world, except for maybe our players and ourselves. Very uh, sad. well, one of the things that I love about this show is that I care about your world. So I'm telling you right now that I want to hear about your world because I think that we can always draw inspiration from each other's homebrew and, you know, ideas because we're all stealing it off of other things and turning it into new things. And then I'll steal it from you and you can steal from me. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so tell me about your world. And if it's really, really big, then, you know, maybe just start from where the campaign started and, and, you know, what localized info is there. Yeah. I mean, it is, very large. I mean, I have like 27 nations. I have a spreadsheet of like diplomatic relations between all of them. Wow. I've, okay. I've like, you you are categorized. You're oh, one of those. Man. Everybody falls on either, you know one side of things there. <laughs> oh no i I don't I don't really plan sessions too much. Or when I do, it's more of a skeleton outline. But dear lord, will I populate my worlds? I love world building. It is one of my all time favorite things to do as a DM. Uh, and I guess in in this kind of corner of um, my my little world named Saint Stara, thank you. Uh, I, I I was like I'm like probably gonna <laughs> segue into that eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it's um, it, it's kind of your general fantasy world. Um, but you know, there's technology in it. Uh, you know, kind of like a weird like. Kind of like Eberron, I'd say, in some parts, but in other parts, it is still very more like old school Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and there is a very big like difference between these places. There's a there's a nation that has a giant land tank, just because it can, and I think that's cool. It is, and I wanted it to exist. It it should. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's just there's a lot that I really can't talk about in terms of world building because it's so important to the story um and and i know that there are podcasts like critical role that are super lore focused and like they're very like oh you need to catch up on all these episodes to know what's happening uh because this nation and that nation or whatever and this god and that god what have you 
and I have I have a lot of that set up, but I do. The players don't know this, <laughs> but their characters are all cosmically involved, as it okay. were. Uh, and I'm excited to reveal to them why and how that is. Uh, but as it were, they're not they're not totally aware of that yet. Uh, but it, it's just in terms of the world itself, they're in a nation called Nevedon. Uh, it's got a whole, it's got this, this international guild in it called the Ringbearers Guild, hence the name of the podcast arc, campaign arc. Um, and it, it it's drawn, the Ringbearers Guild, I, oh shoot, I drew, I drew kind of like this hierarchy system from this book. I can not for the life of me think of what its name was. It was such a good series. But like you, it you have rings to denote your rank within the guild. Somebody will probably call me up and be like, "Oh, this is this book," and I'll be like, "Yes, yes, this is exactly what I'm talking about." Please do if you know the book. Let let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like, you can have up to ten rings to denote your status within the guild. And they have they currently they, the party is one. Like they're not very high up because they've okay. been. Funny enough, it's called the Ring Bear Chronicles. It's not really about the guild at all. It's about stopping like this kind of ancient threat kind of sauron style but kind of voldemort too like the the threat in the podcast or the the main bad guy as far as the players are aware that is uh is this ancient enemy named glaucon uh who is this they don't even really know what glaucon is they might be this evil god they might be a lich of some sort some dread necromancer but they're they're evil that's their jam and they're staying alive via like nine warlocks who kind of hold their essence on the material plane, uh, which allows them to still stay alive somewhere. Uh, and that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the premise. They're trying to find these warlocks, hunt them down and kill them. That's, that's, okay. that's the plot. Yeah. That's and a- so, and so what makes them, you know, cause if it's just like a normal, uh, Bob and Steve just keeping themselves alive for thousands of years through some weird tethered connection to warlocks, most people aren't really going to care. So what's, what is like this, this big bad doing that's, that's causing everyone to say like, Hey, this is, this is a problem. Well, that's the thing. Nobody knows that this big bad is back. Okay. It's a very oh, back. Thing. That's They're the... back. They, they okay. died like a couple thousand years ago. And their their spirit has kind of been influencing the world, kind of surreptitiously. Okay. And, uh, That's where the the Sauron influences come from. Yeah. 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 But <laughs> I, I, but it's like nobody knows that Sauron is back. Kind of. Sure. Like yeah. Sauron doesn't even have an army. Uh, and there are like probably pretty high ranking people are like have gotten influence from this dark entity to get where they are in the world uh like i mean spoilers for the podcast uh, little spoilers good they're, we'll call them teasers yeah, around here teaser yeah so skip like 30 seconds ahead if you aren't caught up at this point at august 4th i think we just finished session 13 but uh the thieves guild head was a aspect of glaucon as we call them in the show as was the um, pontifex of the Lanthandrian Church, 
They both had used Glaucon to kind of gain status in the world and use these dark powers to manipulate people and what have you. And that's kind of the premise. And they're trying to find these other very powerful people who have been using their powers to kind of make their way up in the world. And what, what, I'm, what I'm excited about is um, for these first couple of villains, I just made them very mustache twirling evil people. Sure. You know, like the Thieves Guild guy. I just made him the biggest piece of shit possible. He's such an ass and he like kills people. You're like, all right, this guy's got to die. But the more and more I get into it, like if you were given the ability to do anything you wanted with power, would you use it for bad means? And more and more to villains that are more Machiavellian than just straight up evil. And that's what I'm more excited about because when, when you start like a comedy podcast, you want to lower people into more like more of a dram- dramatic side of it. Yeah. You got to start with like some over the top zany kind of stuff. Uh, and then you lower them into more kind of complicated things. Like one of our characters, um, played by Alex Judela, Agra Silvergrass, is a war criminal. Like he's very much like Iroh from Avatar. And like he, he's, he, he's trying to atone for his sins, but he knows he can't. Uh, and he's just trying to distance himself from a nation that doesn't care about him anymore. And, like, it, it's a lot about his, like, previous nationalism and wants to climb the ladder to the top in, like, this horrible dictatorship that we've kind of referenced a lot in the podcast. And I really have enjoyed this arc with him because uh, his because we've done kind of arc, we're, we're, I, I'm tr- starting to kind of do arcs per character. Uh, because in the beginning we had like a oh they're all getting together it's a swell arc mm-hmm. and then spoiler I kill one of the characters and they die and then they come back as the Grim Reaper uh, as <laughs> a member of the party which okay. is a ton, which is a ton of fun I I know that which which is funny because he's our most happy go lucky party member for sure um, and that that was a ton of fun and nobody was expecting it I wasn't expecting him to roll in that one on his second to last death save. <laughs> but i mean he 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 croaked and i'm like all right let's roll with this yeah and then and then we kind of delved into more auger's backstory and now you were kind of trying to delve into somebody else's backstory they don't know who they are yet but they're gonna um and and once i kind of tie everybody's backstory into the main plot then i really can go full steam ahead like look these are the bad guys these are you gotta kill and then I can start telling the NPCs backstories, you know? Right. Because I have a couple self-inserts. I don't, I don't like to have DMPCs because yeah. I find them annoying. I, I do have an NPC that follows the party. I don't have him do anything, though. He's just there because he's a friend of one of the party members. Um, but no, I, I have um, like one of them's this guy named Falafel. His name was some super cool elf thing like Thaufla. But it was impossible to pronounce, so we named him Falafel, and that stuck. That's his name now. How have you? You've actually mentioned uh, a lot of names so far, and so many names. How? And that's okay. That's that's allowed. Um, But how do you specifically come up with names for for your D and D games? Uh, I hell, I take them from everywhere. I mean, Glaucon uh, actually was a philosopher i believe that talked with aristotle 
Uh, and I was like, I learned that in philosophy class. I'm like, that is the dopest name I've ever heard. <laughs> I'm using it for a bad guy in my Dungeons and Dragons campaign. It's very much a bad guy name. Like, hit the mark that there. That is a cool name. But usually I'll come up with like, I don't know, like especially for names on the spot, I'll like look around the room and I'm like, ah, yes, that is John Tissue Gum, of course, the esteemed knight. Uh, and, and, you know, you just kind of, like, pick items around the room and throw a name together or whatever. But in terms of things I plan, I, I try to, like, you know, throw sh- stuff into, like, a Latin translator, like, a Greek translator. Be like, oh, this is what this word means in Latin. That's cool. A little, little, little Easter egg, a little secret for, for anyone right. who's, like, looking for it. And I, I find that a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I've, had, I've had a lot of fun whatnot. with, like, say, I'm, I'm by no means, uh... Tolkien, uh, but I like going through and just assigning different uh, races or species in my game and basically saying like, okay, you're going to be this language, you're going to be this language, you're going to be this language. And so like, you know, with high elves, they are Italian. So they don't, you know, speak Italian or sound Italian. But when I need a word in high elf, I will put the actual words I want into Italian and then kind of make it sound a little bit more fantasy related. That. That is a great idea. That yeah. is that is actually that's pretty good. Our, so, okay. Feel free to steal know, that. <laughs> I gotta know. Are are dark elves um Australian because they're down under? <laughs> Australians don't have their own that is true. language, so that would be really tough. I also don't have dark elves in my setting. Um okay. high elves have taken the the role of both. So, but that's besides the point. Again, we're not here for me. One day I'll get interviewed and I can <laughs> go into to these details. Um, uh, now you have, you were talking about, uh, the NPCs and like kind of how you've had a, a self, self insert. That's a, yeah. such a negative connotation, but, uh, it, really is. it can be nice for the DM to have a voice in the party for when the party's being very, very dumb. Um, chaotic, chaotic. chaotic. They're never, yes. they're never dumb. Uh, fortunately I have a very smart group of people at my table. Fortunately, they're, they're, they're like, intentionally chaotic. They're intentionally chaotic. They, they, they mess with my shit as it were. They, they intentionally will just harm my story. And I'm like, guys, come on folks. And kind of, kind of got a little, give them a little shepherd them back towards story. Like, come on, come on guys. Come on. How, and how do you do that with such a chaotic group? I mean, I feel like you have... <sighs> You must have some some tricks up your sleeve here. Well, the incentive is usually money and leveling up. Ah. <laughs> um, I'm like, well, guys, look, uh, you guys, you guys can totally just hang out in the tea shop all day, which is great. Or you could, you know, stop the world-ending threat. That's right. Moving at the door. Oh. You don't get level ups for running a fashion show with dogs. Right. Exactly. And generally, they are pretty on point. Uh, but it's, it's more the out of game tangents that, that use up a lot of time. Uh, and those are fun. That is kind of a staple of our podcast just to be like, wait a minute. And then just devolve into something for 15 minutes. And I'll be like, guys, it's been 15 minutes. We're, we're, we're here to play Dungeons and Dragons, please. Um, but in terms of my NPCs, I like, I, I am of the belief that every single, uh, character in Dungeons and Dragons is a facet of myself. Every every person in the setting, and 
I have I have two that are definitely a lot more like me than any of the others, and one of them is um, the one of the guild masters that kind of sends him on quests is this big dragonborn named Nicodemus. Uh, he's very uh, they're very no nonsense. They have this kind of um, sense of duty and responsibility. Uh, they used to be an adventurer, uh, but now they're not. Uh, and I was the, really worried you were going to say, but then they took an arrow to the knee. And uh, I was I'm, not, like, I'm, I'm cliche, but I'm not that cliche. Yeah, yeah thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then Falafel is my other. He's much more chaotic and all over the place. He's like this unorganized intellectual type. And he he runs like this fantasy Illuminati group that is aware of Glaucon. It's like, hey, we got to take out these warlocks before they like destroy the world or whatever the heck Glaucon's plan is. Uh, and I kind of, I, I kind of like to think of myself as kind of a combination of those two characters. Um, because I like, I like to kind of, you know, lead things and like take, like command and control of stuff, especially in DMing. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what, let's, let's go for it. Let's be all zany and stuff. Let's get stuff done. But it's gotta, you gotta have fun doing it. You gotta, you gotta approach it from a creative angle. Uh, and Yeah. Going back to that self-insert thing, that that is such a negative connotation, and it shouldn't be. No, because doesn't need to be at least. No, it doesn't need to be because this is you. You made the world, right? It's only fitting that you have parts of it that are you, right? It, it, it's a mirror to yourself, as it were. Right. Uh, and I mean, I'm sure I'm sure Tolkien had his his very own. I mean. Tom Bombadil was probably a self-insert. Let's be really yeah. honest here. <laughs> but mm, somebody who likes to tell stories and go on way too long. Hmm, would mm. that be a self-insert for Tolkien? No, oh. no, must be somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I don't honestly. I don't think there's any shame in that. DNPCs that tell the party what to do constantly and have the strongest stats. That that sucks. That is shitty, and it kind of robs people of agency. But but to have have somebody in your game that's a lot like you, that shouldn't be a bad thing. You know, it's a thin Definitely. line. Yeah, it's a thin line. Yeah, but I I think you're right, and that should be the uh, say you know going forward, continue on that championing that. Just it's it's good. Have a self insert. Yeah, exactly. Let it be you. You know, let yourself come out a little bit, and I think that's why. Uh, DMing <clears throat> and making a homebrew world feels so rewarding for people is that they're not just, uh, you know, it's not just creating a world, creating a story for people. It's, as you said, it's putting a lot of yourself into this world because you're putting the things you like into it. You know, the, all of the ways you've been influenced in your life into this story and then hoping that a couple of people at the table want to engage with it and, and find it interesting as well. So, you know, it's it's just a very personal thing. Yeah. And and a lot of people I I, I know I I'm of I'm of the belief that if you're comfortable with it, of course, you should try DMing at least once. Just to understand how it feels to be running so many things at once. Um and and because it's it's such a personal experience, it's such a personal thing because even when you're just some NPC, you're putting whatever part of yourself you think works in that exact situation for this exact person, for whatever dimension they want to show, 
for like a split second even if somebody was just telling you to chase after someone or whatever the situation is that's a lot of work and it's a lot of emotional effort and i I know a lot of people don't like understand that sometimes uh but this this isn't like a self-pity parade it's not it's not that hard anybody can dm honestly uh anybody can dm but it is it is definitely work and it is uh you know, as you said, it's you see things from a different light entirely once you're controlling absolutely right. everything in the game uh, besides what the players do. Right. It's it's the art of interactive storytelling. Right. Yeah. And to kind of switch gears here, you you mentioned that you have you know twenty something nations uh, in this homebrew world. Is that something that the the players actually interact with, or is that just your own thing, your own? love to just create and build off those mostly it's my own love i know that um i am such a sucker for geopolitical conflicts in my game and i i have some in the campaign that we're playing but i'm not trying to make it super hefty or whatever because that can be kind of dry uh for a lot of people like Mm -hmm. get into but i love that so much i find that so engaging um and it is it is kind of more for me i i've spent so much time working on this world and all the plot dynamics behind it uh but they everyone is aware that there are other nations and i mean they've interacted with i think through no four now uh they've kind of been to and seen the general politics and environment of at this point and I mean, I think they enjoy it. Yeah. Well, what do you what do you do? What do you what are your first steps when creating one of these new nations from a, a world building perspective? Well, usually what I'll do is I will start ma- by making a map. I I'm not the best cartographer out there. That that goes to many other talented people out in Twitter and what have you. But I love making maps on Incarnate. That is that is my preferred uh, map making place, I guess. And I love making world maps specifically, just because making something of such a scale and thinking like as you're making it, watching these shapes come together as continents, you're like, oh, wow, this could go here. I'm going to put a mountain range here. And that's what this will mean for these rivers and tributaries. And that's how that'll affect trade and what have you. And and once I get climate down and whatnot, I can think, okay, here's where national borders might be. Here's how that would affect the people living there. Like, say, a, a much colder nation uh, that is that is probably bordered by the sea way up north probably isn't going to be as rich or prosperous as a sea that probably borders, like, the equivalent of the Mediterranean. Probably won't have as many... Um, opportunities for trade or they might not have as many resources or the resources will probably differ right uh and that that can really change the dynamics of your worlds and then you kind of have to pick hot spots of industry and whatnot very certain nations that are kind of ahead of others because that is realistic you're not going to have nations at the same pace um but does that does that mean that you need colonialism and other really dark things in your game? No, absolutely not. But the way the way I like to see it is you can you can approach realism with fantasy without getting all the things you try to escape from realism into your fantasy. If you, right. if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. 
uh, because do I mean is there war and conflict? Yeah, that that can make for an interesting game, especially when it's like it is an unequal war and you want to support the underdogs or what have you. Uh, there are multiple wars going on right now in my game that the players are, well, their characters would be semi-aware of. The players are not because they haven't asked. Uh, I cry a little bit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, if any of the players are listening right now, just yeah. ask. Just, just, just like ask one me. question. Yeah. Yeah. Interview me about my world. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, it, it's just, it's a ton of work. I personally love it. I know people who hate that kind of stuff. And it's like, I want to get in. I want to play D&D. I want to play this character. I want to have fun. And I want to do like a little detective thing. Or I want to do a bunch of dungeon crawls. And that's just not my thing. In fact, this might be a hot take. I don't even like combat that much. I much prefer roleplay to actual combat. Um, and I'm not sure if that's apparent in the games I play. Uh, but I do. I try to make it balanced for the player's benefit. You know, I don't. I don't want people to not enjoy something that only I would enjoy. And I'm totally going on a tangent. And I just realized that's, what were we talking about? <laughs> you're allowed to go on tangents. That's that's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'll I'll ask a follow up question uh, around that idea of you know, not really liking combat. Uh, is it more that you you don't like the mechanics of it, or like the the we'll say almost grindiness of it or is okay well that's that is that is definitely it i don't like um and i know other systems do it differently and i definitely want to try some uh down the road like we alex who's kind of essentially my second in command in the podcast he just knows a ton about games and stuff like that he's kind of our like creative director uh, we've wanted to do like a monster of the week game based in like the upper peninsula of michigan because we're all michigan natives that would be hilarious and right. awesome. And I I personally love Monster of the Week. I think it does a lot better job of being much more... Like an, much, D&D could be so clunky. versus And it, it does have a lot of consistent rules that are really easy to make homebrew with and to apply to different subclasses and whatnot. But at the same time, it's not like Monster of the Week, which is very open-ended. It has like D6s and what have you, or, like, things that are, like, powered by the apocalypse, or fate, that are much more, like, you know, like, oh, you want to do this thing, you want to interact with this person, it's going to be the same dice. Then you have, like, five stats, and that's it. And, honestly, I think I might actually be in favor of that, as opposed to running some heavily homebrewed D&D, because while I do enjoy min-maxing the absolute crap out of a paladin hexblade build when i'm playing um that makes one of us <laughs> just destroy my enemies yeah it's not it's not always fun and sure when i i'm a i'm a social encounters min maxer i am an eloquence bard fiend that is oh my god but that, that's this just goes to say point. there's there's different ways to min max that's yes. still min maxing <laughs> oh for sure i'm i'm a dirty dirty min maxer who loves his half elf eloquence bard Ugh. to just destroy social encounters by rolling like a 36 on persuasion but yeah uh yeah, but I don't... When I'm playing, the grinding of combat can be fine because, you know, it's just one thing to think about. 
because you're playing one character usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, you're like, okay, I'm going to do this action. It's going to do this. It's probably going to affect this. Whereas when you're a DM, you're like, uh-oh, it's time to focus on 12 different entities at the same time, trying to think of how I can strategize against six different people working in tandem while simultaneously doing math. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a headache. How do I keep this, especially for, for an AP podcast, how do I keep it interesting sure because role play is interesting on its own because you're like oh i'm listening to people talk that's engaging if it's done right but combat can be that is a whole different beast because you have to like i i love like describing how players do things or letting them describe how they they like you know hit someone sure put any kind of flourish on it that they want and that i think is the only thing that keeps combat interesting for me because if it's all a numbers game that's not super interesting to listen to, at least for me. I don't know. Maybe you're like an accountant and you like listening to numbers. Maybe that's your thing. Look, I'll tell know. you, I have a degree in accounting. It's not my profession. <laughs> I don't like just listening to numbers. Um, no, and you're entirely right. And I think it's it's one of the challenges of actual play podcasts. Um, you know, you you get dms like matt mercer who are very great at weaving in the flavor and the descriptions into combat but even then there are times when it is about the numbers you know because combat can be quite long i mean we're talking potentially hours if if you've got a big enough fight and it warrants it um and there's definitely a disconnect with actual plays where you're trying to keep people entertained, but a lot of times the entertainment value in combat around the table with mics off is that you are invested in the outcomes of every single role. And it's easier to do that when you're at the table than it is when you're listening. Yeah. And I think, I think shows like I am a huge fan of dimension 20. Okay. It's by far my favorite. Uh, I guess it's an actual play to listen to. I know. I say once you said like it's such a bad way to describe yeah. it. Like you're totally right. And if if we could say it's a like good show, it's yeah, a good show. It's a good show. Perfect. Uh, and I I absolutely adore Brennan Lee Mulligan. I think he's probably the biggest inspiration on my DMing style, and just the way that I think he runs combat is very good. But I think it's aided a lot by the the video. Like these just super elaborate set pieces for every single battle that like, mm-hmm. the set crew whips up. You're like, holy shit, this stuff looks awesome. And then he's got like the box of doom for the big scary rolls. And he rolls in there like Galba music. You're like, oh, uh-oh, right. scary rolling coming. Yeah. And you get all tense. And you're like, that is engaging combat done well. And I will never be able to live up with, to that on simply... An audio medium, one. And two, I'm not as good as a DM as Brian Lee Mulligan, which is not a slight to myself. It's That's very hard to compare to somebody who's just that good. And who is allowed and able to do it so much and professionally. Right. I mean, I think there's, there's a lot to that, too, where I'm guessing you have uh, other responsibilities besides the podcast and making uh, memes all day. So, yeah. you know, you can only put so much pressure on yourself, your shelf, uh, your, your bookshelf of pressure. Yes. Uh, you can only put so much pressure on yourself to 
find ways to create these elaborate set pieces, even from an audio perspective, because I'm sure you can do something with music or sound effects that comes across as actually good instead of cheesy, but it's also very easy to to fall into that trap of, you know, doing a a little wizard like pew every time somebody casts a spell. Eh, you know, it, it only takes you so far. Yeah, and I avoid sound effects like that precisely for that reason. I think we're a very self-aware bunch. Mm-hmm. We will make the sound effects ourselves if sure. we need to. Just like Good. pew, pew, pow, pow, dang, <laughs> pow. And that adds to the comedy if we need to. You know? Right, right. And we try to keep things light besides episode seven where one of them has like a panic attack. Uh, but that's... You know, you gotta sometimes the tonal whiplash is just enough to snap your neck, and that's what we love about our podcast. Yeah, I think that's always important. The uh, you hear that a lot where it's it's comedy podcasts do a good job of making you cry because you're you come in laughing, feeling a bit emotionally vulnerable because you're like, oh wow, this is all just fun and everything's great, and then sad things happen, and it's like, whoa. Where did that come from that it almost makes the moments hit a little bit harder? And I hear people mention that a lot with Dimension 20. So obviously I see there's a lot of inspiration from there, which is not a bad place to take inspiration from. Oh, yeah. I personally am in awe of just really generally serious podcasts that pull it off. Sure. That to me is the pinnacle of actual plays. If you can make people invested an actual play podcast that is, for the most part, pretty serious, that is an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Because usually comedy is such an easy thing to engage people with. They're, people like to laugh. People like to feel like, like they're a part of a joke. And, and to, to get involved with characters and stuff like that without that kind of emotional padding, as it were, that is a serious feat. That I, right now, or at least in this level of podcasting, I'm not proficient enough to pull off. Maybe in the future, but not right now. But yeah, people people out there like Matt Mercer. And I mean, the Matt Mercer effect, be damned, but... Yeah, it's, all, man, it's not even worth talking about. Not That's even worth talking about. It's been talked to the ground. I, I hate oh, every time God. I see it, you know, you're scrolling on wherever and somebody starts talking about the Matt Mercer effect. These days, I'm just like, ugh, like, can I we move that on? Word. I hate that word, too, because it just gives Matt Mercer so much shit. And he's yeah. just a guy. Yeah. He's just a guy. Just just call it, like, the professional DM effect. Right. It's not, it's not nearly as catchy. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, it's... like poor matt mercer man (laughs) he's trying his best right right he's like "Hmm, maybe i should be a worse dm so people stop (laughs) giving me flack (laughs) oh yeah uh is that something that you would want to move towards the the idea of like a, a more serious podcast not saying you know drop what you're doing right now but is that like uh you know the would you if the opportunity presented itself to take on a fully serious campaign um would would you try and do that i'm not sure i fully serious is a strong way to put it yeah for for what it's worth all serious campaigns have jokes jokes are going to happen but i would need it's a lot less about me than is about player composition if i had players who were serious and had like read into their characters and read into their backstories and were really excited about doing like a really serious campaign I'd be 100% down to do that. 
But that's, that's not the case with this group, and that's totally fine. In fact, I love this group, and I love this podcast because it is a ton of fun to run, and I always look forward to recording it. Editing? Not so much. <laughs> recording it? 100%. But it's the disconnect between comedy and drama doesn't need to be a disconnect. Sure. It's drama. all drama podcasts. That's great. That is admirable. All comedy podcasts good for you you're doing something that makes you laugh that's having fun and if you can get a beautiful happy medium of comedy and drama that sucker punches you right in the solar plexus and you're like holy shit i was not ready for that that is our golden medium because hell we do have our our adventure zone-esque like tangents and what have you but at the end of the day we're trying to tell a story right right and i mean and at the end of that day we're just a we're just a couple of college kids playing dungeons and dragons <laughs> that's all we got going for us <laughs> and whether you like that or not you're gonna get people with the maturity of 12 year olds playing dungeons and dragons <laughs> <laughs> so at this point probably not <laughs> yeah no that's fair that's fair probably not yeah uh and it's you're spot on when you say like it it is heavily player dependent because you can be the most you can come into it as a DM with the most serious story concept in mind, which honestly, it sounds like from what you've told me, you have a serious story. You know, yes. your your big bad evil guy isn't a flying fart that <laughs> makes everybody turn their nose up and go, ew, stinky. Um, there it is. That is the most immature thing I could think of right off the bat. <laughs> That, that 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 could be an NPC in our world. It, honestly. Sure, sure, and and maybe it's an NPC again. You know, you're you're rolling with the comedy punches, which is fantastic. Um, but you know, it is 100 up to how the players take that information and how they spit it back to you. Uh, that that keeps the tone, and that was like a really important thing for my home game, which is not recorded by any means and never will be, uh, because editing. is that i i actually had to ask a player to not join the campaign because i was like hey i i really want to try doing something like very try hardy you know like i i want us to be sitting around and really trying to get into role play trying to have character arcs trying to engage with the world that i'm spending so much of my life creating and you know i was like does that actually sound enjoyable to you and they were like no, I just kind of want to drink and, you know, screw around with my friends. And I'm like, that's, I get it. I don't want you here uh, for this game. And we can still be friends. <laughs> yeah. And that that is, that's perfectly acceptable. And I think the wonderful thing about Dungeons and Dragons uh, or any, really any tabletop game. Yeah. I know I'll get eviscerated if I just mention only Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. I uh, I do it all the time where it's like I use D&D as like the blanket term of right, all TTRPGs. There are very, there are tons of TTRPGs that are very different from each other. Like, you know what I, I mean? You know what I call tissues? I call them Kleenex. All right. We all fall into the trap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but the wonderful thing about uh, TTRPGs is that it's such a... Oh man, it's such a cyclical experience because on one hand you have the DM or GM giving the players the setting. They're giving them the context, but then the players respond to that in any way that they may. And then the GM has to respond to that and the players have to respond to that response. And it's this beautiful concert of call and response that really can make a beautiful melody 
if you put those parts together correctly. Right. If you know how to respond to each other and you know what your players... Are, if the players know what to expect and you know what to expect from them. Once you, once you, once you have that kind of, not even chemistry, but awareness of how you would react to those sorts of situations, then you can go full steam ahead with however much comedy and drama you'd like in your game. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, we are, we're getting up on time here and I generally like to turn things over at the end and ask you if there's anything that you wanted to talk about, uh, be it TTRPG related or anything totally off the walls. This is your moment to be the, the chaos crew. Oh my God. Hmm. Uh, man. Banana pudding. Banana you've got pudding. strong opinions I'm a, on that. I'm a fan of banana pudding. I'm not like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like a huge, like, oh my God, I got to try all the banana pudding. But I am, I'm like that for Rubens. I'm oh, on yeah? a quest. Yeah. I'm on a quest to try every single Ruben in every restaurant that I go to just to you kind of rate them. would be very busy in Cleveland. Oh, so I hear. There, there's so, I hear. so many Rubens. I can't step out the door without being offered a Reuben. Oh my God. That sounds, <laughs> sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I love, I love Rubens so much. So yeah, if you, if you like me a lot, send me like a Reuben kit in the mail. That would be that. That's how you win my heart. Okay. <laughs> this, All right. This is food and, Nope, that's it. Just food. That, that is all you need. You got to open up a role-playing and role-playing uh, P.O. box and just have people send, <laughs> like, sauerkraut and their their own variations of, at that point, via the mail, uh, probably moldy bread and... Oh, yeah. Very, very stale rye. Right. Very stale rye bread. <laughs> you like, put this together, it'll be the, the best Reuben you ever had, or you'll die. Uh, I'll you're... die. <laughs> I'll, I'll die happy. I'll die a happy man. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's kind of that's kind of my op t- off topic fact. Is uh, you love Rubens? Yeah, I love Rubens. Uh, in terms of what else I have going on in my life, I don't. This is my hobby. No, <laughs> that's is, fine. I'm not done with this Ruben thing. I'm not going to let you go just yet. Oh, oh, this is, <laughs> by all means. I am very invested in this topic. What to you makes a great Ruben? What are the, the key components? Let, let me. There are five ingredients in a good Reuben. All right. Yeah. There's, actually, this is probably good context. So there might be people who don't know what a Reuben is. Yeah, a Reuben sandwich. For all these who don't know, was invented in New York in like the 1920s. I think. Don't quote me on that. I'm probably wrong. But not that, a Reuben historian. Strike somewhere. that from the record. <laughs> um, but it consists of rye bread. If you're correct, this is if you're correct. You could be wrong, and that's fine. But if you're correct. Rye bread. Usually, if you have, if you have raw rye bread, meaning untoasted, as they call it, bread and not toast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like a heathen, you can do that. But if you get a nice kind of like almost like a grilled cheese, kind of a buttery sear on it, that is that is perfection. But not too crunchy, because I want to stab the roof of my mouth and then get sauerkraut juice in it and then start to cry, because that's right. a bad time. But you get a nice sear on that bread. A nice buttery kind of, you know, whatever that's called in cooking. I'm not a chef. You're um, looking for the mallard, mall, mallard reaction? I always mess it up because it sounds like ducks, but it's not ducks. I there's no mallard idea. ducks. I think it's malliard. Malliard? Something like that. Somebody can okay. yell at me that I'm wrong. Yeah, <laughs> please correct me. Uh, but so you got the bread. You got the Thousand Island dressing. This is quintessential. Thousand Island dressing is the 
it's it's the key to having a good bourbon. You can never have too much of it. Um, cause I mean that stuff just it, that's the zing to your Reuben, and I mean that's what is it? It's like relish, mayo, and ketchup, and probably yep. a bunch of other things. If some you're spices doing a here cool, and there, yeah, kind of. Think some Worcestershire sauce, maybe. Oh, probably sprinkle in there somewhere. But that I could I could eat that stuff with a spoon. That stuff is amazing. Um, and then then you've got your sauerkraut. Uh, which is you know pickled cabbage. You got that. You got a nice crunchy like kind of not diced, but like uh, kind of strings of sauerkraut. Shredded. That is shredded. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> you have nice shredded sauerkraut. That's what you're looking for. Now, you got the corned beef. This is this is the main ingredient of your Reuben, right? It's like eighty percent of it. Oh, by yeah. mass. if you're doing it right, if <laughs> yeah. you're doing it right, you get a thick Reuben with a ton of meat. And I mean, we're talking slabs here or, or, you know what? There's no right way to have the meat. Well, there are wrong ways, but the decent ways to have it is if it, you rather do it thick cut or you can do kind of more like a thin, almost lunch meat way or, or shredded. Uh, all of it's good as long as the meat tastes decent. And I mean, there are definitely bad ways to make corned beef. I'm not a chef. I don't know what the words for those are, but there are. They exist. I've had them. Um, What am I missing? Because I got the bread. I got the sauerkraut. I got the sauce. I got the meat. I can't be missing anything, have I? That's that's Swiss cheese. Swiss cheese. I almost forgot. I can't believe it. And Swiss cheese, it it shouldn't be overpowering. It should not be the main ingredient of Reuben. I didn't order... I didn't order, pardon my French, a fucking grilled cheese here, man. <laughs> I want a little bit of Swiss to complement my corned beef. And so that is that is that is the that is the quintessential Reuben. Like if I could have that that build on a Reuben, that that wonderful generation of meat, cheese, bread, and acid and vegetable, that that is that is the the peak of food for me. It's amazing. <laughs> and do you have a uh, a Reuben place locally that's your your go to? I do. Uh, it's this uh, little place called Pickles and Rye. It's a little Jewish deli, uh, and they have uh, they have a Reuben obviously, but they have this other sandwich that's like like a Reuben, but then they add like they got like extra lettuce and tomato in there, and they got like a, like a pate, and it sounds weird, but it's real good. Interesting. Oh my lord! And they got like pickles and bread that they give to you, like as a starter. Oh man, I gotta eat that sometime soon. Now I'm thinking about it. That's making me hungry. You gotta see if they'll sponsor your show. Oh my it's god, just... that'd be crazy. <laughs> yes. And uh, and how do you feel about using marble rye? Is that acceptable? Oh, that is preferred. Marble okay. rye is the preferred bread for a Reuben. Uh, okay, not just straight rye. Got it. Got to have the, the pumpernickel time... mix. The only time I've ever had a bastard Reuben, meaning a not perfected Reuben, is the lobster Reuben down in uh, Key West, which is exceptional. One of the best pieces of like food that I've ever had. And they didn't use like rye. They used like just general bread. They had like sauerkraut and they had like a ton of Thousand Island and a little bit of Swiss. But this lobster, oh my goodness. Yeah, I could see and that. It, it sounds kind of weird when I'm describing it in retrospect. But oh my lord, I, I I chowed that thing in like a solid minute, maybe a minute and a half, just gone. It was amazing. Yeah. 
That's great. That's great. Uh, I get to I got to see um I was just on a an episode not out yet of uh Dungeons and Dinings, which is a Oh yeah. D&D yeah, interview yeah. show where it also talks about food. So I will uh pass the word along that you're the Reuben guy. Oh yeah. <laughs> By all means. Maybe maybe they can tell me how I can actually make a decent Reuben because yeah. I have no idea. Oh, you you know. It sounds like you know. It's just a matter of doing it. Yeah, it is a matter of doing it. I'm I'm lazy and I like Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and not cooking. <laughs> it's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Uh all right. Well, hey, I think we'll we'll go ahead and call it there. That was a great great bit to end it on i'm happy and right. uh thank you so much sam for for coming on this was fantastic and yeah. uh yeah uh, go everybody check out role-playing and role-playing the ring bearer chronicles if you're looking for some some middle school humor as you've put yourself uh <laughs> mixed <laughs> in words. with drama it, yes of course <laughs> great well thank you so much sam and any specific places you want to direct people social media wise uh yes uh you can follow me personally at samcomer424 uh you don't have to that's fine but you are <laughs> obligated to follow me at our role playing which is our podcast and shitty bank of ideas uh because i i do funny things there kind of maybe humor is subjective i don't know how you feel about it but they're ideas, so take them as you will. I'm going to probably hit you with the meme if you argue with me, because that's how I roll. Uh, and we have a website, just roleplayingandroleplaying.com. Uh, that's R-O-L-E playing, and then R-O-L-L playing. Get it? It's a little planned words. Uh, and that's that's the website. And we've got all of our you know merch affiliates. You could have a hat. Look at that. Uh, and that's that. Yep, that's my whole spiel. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sam. And yep, make sure to check that out. And to everybody out there, thanks for listening.